Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you today. I pray that, I pray, Lord, that you would find in, in us, find in this church, Lord, an army of Christians that are willing to step up and step forward for the sake of the word of God and to step up and step forward with their presence, Lord, with their teaching, with their willingness to serve. Lord, step up and step forward with their giving. Uh, God, just to be faithful to you and to see you work on their behalf and, and trust in you. And Lord, we trust in you today that as we look into this passage together, your Holy Spirit will speak to us the very things we need. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated in the, in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, turn to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, first chapter of 2 Peter. And if I could, you know, after you get saved, if I could mail you the Christian life in a box, if, you, if I could mail you a box with all of the Christian life just right inside of it, that would be this passage right here. And I say that up front because some of you, and you know who you are, you have a knack, you have a special gift for missing the exact thing that you need. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's some of, some of you right now who are on our live stream and, and watching by live stream and uh, catching up with us on YouTube or whatever, and you're thinking that I can see you right through the camera because, because you, you know how it is. You know, that one Sunday, I mean, you go for two months in a row and then you say, well, you know, it's summertime. I'm going to take some time off. I'm just going to, today I just feel kind of blah and I'm just going to be blah at home. And, and you do that, and you miss the one thing you needed so badly. That is our tendency. That's the way the devil sucker punches us. So, so but if I could give you the entire Christian life in, in, in one box, I would mail you this set of verses. So as we're ge- going there, look at John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, because this is why this passage is so important. Jesus said to those Jews which had believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, you see some people who get saved, and they never grow to do anything for God. I mean, they get saved, and they never amount to anything for God. How many people we have seen that in their family, the parents seem to be so connected and plugged in and doing something for the Lord. And then the kids, uh, you know, the kids grow up. Not only do they not take seriously the faith that their parents had, they end up doing things just so out of character for what that family had been. And, you know, that used to bother me some. But but, but we see a lot of people who what they used to do, they stopped doing, and then they lose the reward for what they did do. I mean, Second John verse 8 talks about that. So many Christians today are not disciples because while they have been made free, they never got set free because they did not continue in Jesus' words. Last time that we were studying this topic of grace, we're ready to look at an octave of grace here in Second Peter 1. This passage comes out of the phrase, and beside this, which starts verse 5, and Peter says, there are seven things that you must add to your faith 
in order to see the divine nature unfold in your life. So Peter gives us the input on grace to enable your growth into a fully mature adult in Jesus Christ. So this study today, I think, should become common knowledge among us because it is what you need in order to experience the victory that you already have in Christ. It is what you need in order to set you free over time from all the things that the truth has made you free from and made you free for. I mean, what an important paragraph. Because here's our thesis for today's study. Because if you want to get in a grace state of mind instead of an empire state of mind, then you need to get out of a state of ignorance. If you want to get out of a weak state, then get out of a state of indifference. Get out of an undiscipled state. If you want to escape doubt, then escape from apathy about your Bible, God's words, the scripture, and biblical authority. Do what the Bible says here, where Peter gives us a list. Jesus will give us the test. Judgment seat of Christ. Peter gives us a list. We saw last time what you have to begin with. And it's here in verse 5. Look at what it says. And beside this, giving all diligence. It has to begin with your contribution. You've got to get up and go for it. You've got to dig deeper in the Word. You've got to get more grace than just saving grace. You've got to sign up for discipleship. You've got to start discovering a much fuller grace, which actually works in your walk day by day. Because the amount to which you experience spiritual growth and success in this life is proportional to your degree of diligence. So, verse 5, add to your faith virtue. We started this last time, ascending a staircase of eight steps and a stairway to heavenliness. And this is an intensive course on increasing our grace from maximum grace to mature grace. In essence, this is the way you let grace grow and grow up in you. So let's review the first three items to bring us back to where we stopped last time. First, first, faith is the trust in Jesus which leads you to salvation. Add something to the basic faith in Christ's blood, which is what got you saved. Add something means you've got to fully supply what you need. What, what you get here, what you put on top here is going to fully supply what you need. And what it takes to get growing is what it took to get going, faith. But after you get that, then what do we add? Seven things, actually. The first is virtue, which is mastering something so that fulfills its intended purpose. Add the power of commitment to Christ's likeness. Add consecration to become a person of valor. Plead with God that he will give you the face of a lion in spiritual things. Verse 5, and to virtue, add knowledge. Knowledge is the science which feeds the spiritual nature. And this is a critical list because this is the way you get multiplied grace 
This is what sends us into orbit to touch heaven so that we can change earth together. See, this is our first point for study. If your spiritual life is only a reformation of your natural life, then you're not prepared for eternal life. Hello, somebody. In order to keep the spiritual life nourished with abundant grace, you've got to follow through on this list. And as we go through this, you'll see that this explains so much right here. Whenever you ask that question, why is Christianity in the state that it is in? Therefore, our families are in the state that they are. Therefore, society is in the state that it's in. Therefore, our country's in the state that it's in. This is why. Because these are the sources and resources for more mature grace for you. Verse 6, add and to knowledge, add temperance. A good synonym is discipline or self-control because this is number four. Temperance means to be balanced in the application of what you know. And this is one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.23. So once you know it, you have to do it, but you have to do it in self-control. So feed yourself divine truth, then add a balanced application. And the thing that produces a moderate application of truth is grace. Hebrews 13 verse 9 says, It is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. So you do not make an emotional application of truth, but you make an even balanced application of truth. And you can see right here, just at this fourth spot, if you are a parent, this may, this may be where you're failing because you've got truth on your side and you've got authority and you've got, you know, certain ability to force certain things on your kids. But do you do that with balanced application? See, truth knows when to accept a dinner invitation with the Pharisees and when to make a whip and overturn tables. And truth knows that a heart of grace knows that it's not hypocritical to do both of those different things at the correct times. So once you get the knowledge on what to do, then position yourself for effectiveness over the long haul. Many times in order to achieve this, we've got to add a closer relationship with the Holy Spirit because he's the only one who can hold us accountable. I mean, you may not be at the spot where you've tempered your knowledge yet with grace. And I'm not at the place where I can be with you 24-7. So you don't need human accountability. It won't work. It will fail. You can always sneak around that. If you're saved, born again, you can't, there ain't no sneaking around the Holy Ghost. So this is our second point for study. The basic place we get balanced application from is our communion with the Holy Ghost because he is our ultimate accountability. So it is through our union and a communion with him in prayer. And that is why counseling is just one component of what you need. You don't just need counseling. You need the comforter as Christ calls the Holy Spirit four times in John 14 to 16. You need the comforter who stands close by to you to hold you steady and stay balanced. Now, that's this is a little bit off the trail, but I know I need to address it. Biblical counseling 
is designed to take the Word of God and place you in closer proximity to the Spirit of God to be your comforter, your helper, your accountability. Now, I didn't use the phrase Christian counseling because who knows what that means today. But biblical counseling does that. So if your counselor did not do that with you, then shame on them. It is because we have given up on biblical authority that we have no biblical morality. And since we have lost biblical morality, that means you are subject to a defective and deficient secular approach in counseling, in psychology, in psychotherapy. Secular counselors know that you cannot walk on your own. That's why they keep you coming back. Well, listen, when I counsel, I want to give you the answer so good, I never got to see you again. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to see you like that. I don't want to see you sitting on the sidelines. I want to see you in ministry with me. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25 says, Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Biblical and pastoral counseling is designed to use the Word of God to bring you close to the Spirit of God so that He can give you both the accountability and the power which enables your balanced application of your knowledge of God and your knowledge of the Word. And that right there is light years ahead of secular psychotherapy. So add self-control in different areas so that the Holy Spirit can enable you to follow through and apply Bible principles in practice. Now, what does it take to do that? Well, verse 6, and to temperance, add patience. And patience is consistent endurance, which is enabled by cheerful continuance. I mean, wow. You, you cannot quit when the right road gets hard. And I'm just going to tell you up front the reason why this is, this is the one box I would mail to you that has the entire Christian life in it is because there is no one who ever followed through on what we're seeing today who did not get the result I'm describing to you right now. So the road gets rough, the hard but right road gets rough, and they quit. There's no one who ever didn't quit that didn't actually see this work in their life. So if you're saved and you have consecrated yourself to the mastery of the Christian life by being discipled, and you're learning what you you're trusting the Spirit of God to enable your balanced application of Scripture, then do not stop doing that. Do not quit. Because the higher you go, then the more maturity you get, the more challenging it becomes, and the more a target is on your back, and the more booby traps Satan throws at you. Emphasis on booby. Say, Alan, what do you mean booby? Well, there's the danger of your own pride because you get puffed up, booby. And there's the envy of others who are not so high as you, boobies. There's a frustration of unfairness and injustice based on the level that you've achieved. And there's also the direct attack of trial and affliction. And apparently some people in cells and others, there's this whole world of online violence and evil, which they transfer to reality. 
booby trap. Do not be dissatisfied and do not give up because this is how grace produces everything you need in the Christian life. Since you know you're on the right road, keep on trucking, baby. Keep on trucking. Because some of the things that we want to achieve for you are going to have to come only as you break through some times of stress and distress, all those difficult roads to travel. But when we break through, you're going to say glory, glory to God. The divine nature is unfolding right in front of me, right through my pain. And I'm not here to tell you that to make the decision to ascend the stairway of grace means you will be at ease in Zion, at least not until we all get to Zion. But I will tell you that when you get your test back at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to rejoice over the reward. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 8 and 14. So you get a star, and you can put it in your crown. So add persevering patience to your temperance, verse 6, and to patience, add godliness. Godliness is living according to the scheme of God's thoughts for your life. So it's reading God's word so that you can think God's thoughts so that you can respond like God responds. So it is doing those things in your devotional life, which enable you to have a practical holiness and a stable emotional life. And that means you need to know something about building a daily altar. You need to know something about your own time in the Word of God. You need to know something about simple English Bible exegesis. Like I'm going to talk about one of those evenings there at All Church Retreat, because what this will give you is our third point for study. You will have an awareness of God in every aspect of life. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of people <clears throat> really get wigged out because, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they felt like they had a strong faith and they, they really got it going on. And then maybe had a child who didn't follow in that faith and ended up doing, you know, something so, so disgracing to the entire family. And uh, we all wonder why that is, and we question our parenting, and we question, you know, what we did or what the, you know, what the parents did. And, you know, it isn't that. But here's the thing that you need to know, and you really ought to think about this, where your kids are concerned, because into each child's life, Paul says in Ephesians, there comes an evil day. What is the evil day? The evil day is that moment in which they have to choose for themselves which tree they're going to eat fruit from. So you need to live your life not boxing out the Creator, but every child is going to have that moment where they're going to decide, am I going to box God out? Am I just going to ignore that He's here? I'm going, am I going to ignore that he even created all this? I'm going to go the route of what they're saying in school that I go to, and I'm going to, I'm going to view it skeptically, and I'm going to say, well, God didn't do it. Evolution did it. And, uh, you know, it's really cool how evolution knew how to do all those things. But, uh, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to put God out of the equation. Make sure 
that because of praying without ceasing, God is constantly pervading every aspect of your life. And that is the best that you can give your kids. Where you are tracing everything back to God, whether joyous or calamitous, you dwell in God in order to be godly. Now that means bringing every issue to the throne of grace. How you can separate, you know, I don't know how you can separate godliness from prayerfulness. You may have a good desire, but those desires, if they never turn into prayer, they're just going to blow away like dust in the wind. And you may think about holiness, but if that thought never deepens into prayer to be holy, then it's like seed that's just scattered along the highway. That flower called godliness is an exotic, and the seeds have to be imported from heaven. Hello, somebody. So it is good to have set times of prayer with us like we do. We'll have this Wednesday night. But it is the death of spiritual life to confine your prayer to set times. What you want is the prayer which is the natural outflow of your soul as you walk in the Spirit in this life. So you ought to pray because you have something to say to God, not because it is the time to say something. That's how Muslims do it. Say, but Alan, sometimes I don't feel like I can pray. Well, that's the time that you need to pray the most. So you need to pray until you can pray, and then pray until you have prayed. And, and you say, but I, I feel like if I do that, I'll be a hypocrite. No, baby Baba, that is the devil in white satin speaking to you, telling you that you'll be a hypocrite. Because if anything keeps you from prayerfulness, it is an evil thing, no matter what suit it wears. Now, did I say last time that I thought every spiritual concept has an analog, a, a, an illustration in the physical world? The physical analogy of spiritual prayer is breathing. You do not notice in the course of a day every breath you take. Now, maybe Sting notices. Maybe the police know every breath you take. But when you come home at night, you don't say, well, I took 22,000 breaths today. Uh, no, you, you, didn't know, you don't notice your breathing unless you become asthmatic. And sometimes good prayer takes the form of an action. It's an act in ministry. And that may be a form of practical prayer. And it is that kind of piety which this word godliness refers to. Now, I don't know if I'm taking things too deep for you today. But if you will just climb this stairway of grace, you can enter the grotto of mystical reality in the Christian life. And whatever shape prayer takes, in a sigh or a cry or a moan or a groan or a wail, that's a good kind of praying. If you look at Psalm 32, verse 6, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Well, a time like what? Well, how about surely in the floods of great waters? And if... And if you pray to me, God says, they shall not come nigh unto thee. You, that, you know, they won't drown you. I mean, even if they drown you physically, they won't drown you. 
So, okay, they shall not come nigh unto him. Him who? Him who is praying. So in effect, you can gauge your godliness this way. Get godliness by getting God's words, thinking his thoughts after him, conforming your mind to the mind of Christ, and then gauge your godliness by prayerfulness and how it makes you act in response. Be in desperate dependence on grace. Every fire, every flood should bring you closer to Christ in faith. That is the grace which produces mature godliness. And then pleasing God will become the dominant influence in your life. And when pleasing God becomes the dominant influence of life, then ungodly stuff just automatically, I mean, it automatically begins dropping away. So once you decide to add godliness to faith, that cuts time out from a lot of other things. I'm just saying, there are a lot of things we do in life that do not contribute to adding godliness to our faith. And if you want the mastery, which you will be rewarded for at the judgment seat of Christ, You can't be a master of everything, just one thing, really. So this sets the direction for your going. And then when you get as far as this stage, do not forget about other people. So, verse 7, to godliness, add brotherly kindness. Do not be so heavenly-minded that you forget your earthly relationships to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because brotherly kindness is what God does for you, rubbing off on somebody else. Brotherly kindness is Ephesians 4.32. And be ye kind one to another. Brotherly kindness. What does that mean? Well, it means you're tenderhearted and forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You want to know the key to doing brotherly kindness? This is our fourth point for study. Brotherly kindness is automatically engendered when you remember what you had to go through to get where you're at right now. So the moment you forget that you had to wrestle through some things, then you're not going to be so sensitive and patient as you should be with somebody else. You'll be saying things, well, how come they don't just stop? Or, you know what, if he was spiritual, he wouldn't have that problem. Now, listen, there's a difference between weakness and wickedness. But if you disdain a weaker brother or sister, that means you forgot. That's all I can say. You forgot. You were not born strong. You forgot. You did not arrive at this church by FedEx overnight or UPS Express. You forgot. You did not come fully assembled. You didn't come with all your sins and problems all worked out except through discipleship and grace. So now that you have are after the mastery to be rewarded for, then maybe you need to encourage somebody else just like you were encouraged growing up. Nobody becomes a master without an apprentice sitting as an apprentice under someone else. So if, you know, you cannot become a discipler and then turn around and say to somebody behind you, well, you just got to make it on your own. You just got to make it the best that you can. No, 
If you are a discipler, you've got to help them reach the mastery by adding to their faith. That doesn't mean you excuse sin. That doesn't mean you cover up sin. But that means you are kind in working people through sin who repent of sin and want to be worked through it. So finally, finally add one more ingredient to this octave of grace. Verse 7, and to brotherly kindness add charity. Charity is that attitude which seeks the highest good for the person being loved. That is why the James gang did not use the weak word love in this context. They chose the strong word charity. So if you have brotherly kindness, add to it a love which acts. Because charity is not romantic or emotional expressions of love. That's cheap. That's cheap love. Charity is where you want to see your brother or sister arrive at their most optimal point of spiritual maturity for the sake of eternity. I mean, this is the belt, bond, badge, and crown. So in this octave, if faith is middle C, then charity is high C. Because look at what Paul says in Colossians 3.14. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. God did not give up on you, so do not give up on others. I mean, this is what ministry is all about. Sometimes ministry means being used. And when you are used in ministry, you can either be bitter over that, or you can replace that bitterness with brotherly kindness and then stack on top of that charity. Now, there are limits in not being deceived by letting wolves out among the flock, but this church is all about being a community of believers where Christians seek to help other disciples become all that God created and redeemed them to be for all eternity. So love spends a lot of time loving sinners, especially lost ones, and love spends a lot of time loving the unlovely. You say, Alan, if I go through all of this to add all of these notes to the symphony, well, what's going to be the conclusion? I mean, what's the end game going to produce? We're asking good questions this morning. Look at verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants those seven things added, stacked on your faith, and he wants them to abound and just squeeze out the sides. And they have to abound because that is the only way they get control of you. I just gave you the answer. These things need to control you. Then you'd stop doing those things you don't want. So these are the things that, may, that make the faith which you have bear fruit for the Lord. And you must bear fruit because if you remain barren, you will be unrewarded. So this is our fifth point for study. If these seven things are active and growing faith in your life, if you supplement your faith by climbing these other seven steps and, and you take these other seven vitamins that you have to have to live by, 
then no one day will pass without you being rewarded for maturing in your experience of Jesus Christ. Because what will happen? Well, the tree will start producing fruit and you will have luscious oranges of joy just busting out of your branches. And you'll have succulent peaches of peace bursting out of your branches. And you have the delicious fruit of the Spirit and all the shades of grace falling out of your tree, landing all over the place, and you will be treading the grapes of victory. Did I say that I think every spiritual truth has a physical counterpart? Well, what what is this about fruit? What is the good thing about fruit? I mean, physically. Well, the good thing is that fruit not only beautifies your own tree, but it's something that someone else can come by and be nourished by. So you not only embellish your own life, but all of the things you touch become better. That's what gives you the Midas touch, where everything you touch turns to gold. Gold, silver, and precious stones at the judgment seat of Christ. And people coming around you will say, man, can I just get a bite of what you got? I wish I could just have a bite of the peace you have. I wish I just have a bite. I wish I just had a bite of the security that you have in the midst of what we are going through at this time. So parents, you need to be a fruit tree to your kids, not a weed. Hello. (laughs) Working men and women, you need to be fruit trees so that your coworkers get a taste and they see how good Jesus is. Students, some of you, you know, some people do not want what you have because your fruit is just as rotten as theirs. Hello, student. We need to change all that by God's grace, not by laws, not by legalism. This is the way to change, by God's grace. You say, Alan, but I don't know if I want to take the time and go through the trouble. Okay, okay. Peter knew that you might not want to, so look at verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind. You can't lose your salvation but you can end up in almost the same condition as before you got saved. Because before you got saved, you were blind. And if you never get the word and grow in grace, you put your own eyes out. I mean, if you put down the Bible and you stop praying and you stop coming to church for any reason, and then you start hanging out with your idiot friends, you will be so Samson. That will be so Samson of you that nobody except God and the devil will be able to tell you from a lost person. You know, this is the thing I miss about preaching in African-American churches as much as I used to, because if I were preaching in a black church today, somebody would be patting me on the back right now. I mean, we'd have a row of chairs up here and we'd have other ministers, both from our church and other places, and they'd be patting me on the back right now. And, you know, I know we had, we had you know, Pastor Dr. Golden Davis a few weeks ago, and uh, he spoke for us. And I know he preached out of New King James, but if he were sitting here today, he'd be waving his hanky at me. I mean, he might throw a shoe up here. Verse nine. Verse, okay, verse nine. Okay, you're blind and cannot see afar off, 
okay, three things, blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. Now, can't see afar off means you're not blind by accident. You shut your eyes. You are so short-sighted and chose to be near-sighted because you want immediate gratification instead of permanent reward. So you forgot that this life is not all there is to human existence. Listen, Jesus has made it so that you will be with him forever. And if that statement didn't just send chills down your spine, then I wonder, I wonder about you. Since you are going to be with him forever, whatever you do now lasts into eternity. And when your works are tried at the judgment seat of Christ, whatever survives is your reward to keep forever. Everything else is just ashes and dust. So without these qualities, you are oblivious even to the fact that your slate was wiped clean. Do you see what, do you see what Peter said here, that third thing? You forgot you were purged from your old sins, you still think that you are who you were, which is the one thing that will keep you defeated. Born again, but forgetting that you now have the grace to sustain you with divine power in spiritual growth to maturity. So what are we obligated to do with God's grace? Verse 10, wherefore the rather, brethren, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure by having, by doing these other things. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. That's the second time you've been told to be diligent. Will you confirm God's choice of you this morning? Your, your calling and your election. If you, if you say that you're saved, if with your mouth you own the Lord Jesus, then do not put this off. If you can remember the day that you walked down an aisle or you prayed a prayer, then is there anything in your life right now which would convince a lost person that you've actually been born again? Or are you as miserable as the sinner you work with, as miserable as the sinner you work for? Are you as depressed as a lost person next door to you? If you are, then do this, 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 10, and get your life on firm faith footing. Begin practicing these principles so that you can see new fruit come out of you continuously, more and more over time. You got to do that because our final point for study is this. God's grace never produces barren trees. So make certain you've experienced his grace in salvation by bringing to bear his grace in growth and reproduction. And that means you come to maturity, but it also concerns your coming into the kingdom. You're coming into his kingdom. How will you be introduced at the door, I wonder? Well, verse 11, for so... By giving diligence to do this list 
an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it doesn't determine your arrival. If you're saved, everybody who's saved is going to arrive. Well, what are you going to be wearing? What are you going to be wearing? Tuxedos or overalls? Are you going to have a crown? Are you going to have some medals? How are you going to be greeted in heaven when we get there? Some of us are going to be getting in like sliding into second base. Our pants are dirty and we got a hole in them and, you know, we got strawberries on our thigh and it's just, you know, looks all ugly. And some of us are going to get in like Indiana Jones underneath that, you know, that big screen. You remember that movie in Indiana Jones where he's, he's way in the sand and the, the icon that is the statue that is in this pagan temple and he switches them real quick and he thinks he's got it all done and wow, he's got this, this treasure that, that you just, you know, is priceless. And then this great, big, hairy stone starts rolling out after him, and he just barely makes it under the door in the Temple of Doom. That is the Raiders of the Lost Inheritance way of getting in, according to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. But you could enter so rich. You could enter with a walk-off Grand Slam. I mean, you could enter with a ticker tape parade and the sound of trumpets on the other side. Now, I don't know if this ever happened to you that, you know, you come home and you grab a bag of chips and some cookies and then somebody tells you that, hey, I cooked, I cooked your favorite meal. I mean, we got some fried chicken and macaroni and cheese and collard greens with poke salad and hot buttered cornbread with sorghum and iced tea and apple pie. They say it's hot out of the oven. Come over and eat. Now that is a depressing situation. It's depressing because you stuffed yourself with junk. I say let's feast on the grace that will make you like Jesus Christ. Because sometimes we don't need some new insight. We just need to feed on the old menu. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Two things are important as you apply this doctrinal study of grace. Two things. Do not be negligent and do not wait. Have you received God's grace by your faith response to him? If you trust Jesus today for what he promises, you will be given everlasting life, a new birth. Will you just pray with me right now and say, God, I believe Jesus today for eternal life. I want life after death. And more than that, Lord, I want right now, I want my sins forgiven. I want to be purged of that old stuff. And even if I still have the new nature, I want this divine nature that you've shown me implanted into my life right now by the Holy Spirit. And I want to start growing in him. I believe, so I receive. Hear Jesus, I give you my life. God, make me born again right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand stand with us, if you would, as we get ready to let the praise team sing us out. If you give Jesus your life, he'll give you his life. Then the Holy Spirit will fill you as you get into God's word.
And as God's word does the work in your life, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you grow in the word of God, it begins changing everyone and everything around you. 